You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe, Vince, and Marty. speaking and happy new wow expansion day to those of you who play three of us are playing right now well not this very much at least i don't think any of us are playing right now i'm not you have me on battle <laughs> that you can pick your no. game, so. i don't have the attention span to do both that's no but uh yeah it did come out we're not going to be talking about it a lot but just a tiny bit because we got a lot of other stuff to discuss but I got to say, I don't know how much you did, Joe, but I got in, I, I actually was in right a little bit before it uh, it started our time. It was uh, 6 p.m. And on my end, at least, smooth as can be. Yep. Whatever decision they made to kind of put it partway through the day was smart on their side. I don't know how they did it, but, and I haven't heard if there were some major problems anywhere else, but I can just say for me, Holy fucking hell. They I can honestly say I don't think they've ever had this smooth an expansion launch. It was beautiful. No problems, tons of mobs so that you're not fighting over them either, plus shared experience and loot. It's great. It's so fantastic. The only hiccup that I see I saw that was reported um was one that I experienced and then just had to relog real quick is that Blizzard services disconnected. Not that big of a deal. Happens. And that meant that real ID would go off for people and we just have to log out, log back in. Right. The The other thing is that the quest that actually gives you the heart of Azeroth, some players were experiencing hiccup where they would complete the quest, but it wouldn't give them the item. Ooh. And so they have to put a ticket in to get it restored. It's not wide, widespread, um, but it's definitely something they tweeted about and that there's something open on the, the site for them. The only downside for me, and it wasn't, the game's fault clearly is like a lot of other people we kind of headed to Silithus and just kind of waited <laughs> and just kind of like we'll get a little head start and do everything right away but I I had to go back to Stormwind for the quest to trigger and then head really back. yeah it didn't trigger in uh, and I tried exiting the zone and back in everything huh. it did not trigger I had to actually go to Stormwind and back so that was a little bit of a pain in the butt, but it doesn't take long with the portals and everything. So, and then from that point on, no problems at all. I uh, I'm gonna be because the allied races are locked for a while until you get exalted and finish the war per- portion of the campaign. Apparently, uh, and that's gonna take a little while. So I can't make my new characters that I wanted to, the Magar and the 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 Kul'Turas. So I'm just working on a couple both horde analyze because of course with my son so i decided though while i was playing solar that i would start working towards my alliance thing so i can play my druid with my friends and um and holy fucking hell i'm digging it so much right now it's unbelievable it at one point when the when there's a a a witch kind of thing that you have to take out whatever and i just got this vibe there that it feels very much as if Supernatural was having an episode mm-hmm. in Fable. That's exactly, and 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 I am so all right with that. <laughs> like, it just comes off ridiculously well done. The, 
the voice acting for the most part is quite good. There's a couple of voices that are a little annoying, but not too bad. Uh, but the the majors are good. Oh yeah. Plus the the little things that they're doing different, like you're waking up in the jail cell and you got to mm-hmm. bust out of jail and you're freeing all the other pr- prisoners to cause a riot and everything else. This is really fucking cool. The stuff when you get there with Jaina and confronting her mother and whatnot. Again, playing on some tropes, but really well done. The blend of uh, cinematics and cinematics using in-game assets is pretty good. It's it's not seamless by any stretch, but it's pretty good, and it works for what you're you're seeing, and and it allows you to have your character part of what's going on as well in the cinematics, which is kind of neat. So, like, when you're watching Jaina walking into Kul and there's this massive army around her, the the guard there, because she is a traitor to them, you're there with her. You're uh, uh, an emissary of the Alliance, and it's, it's impactful because it's not just the normal stuff where it's you, you see a little bit and whatnot. It's, no, it's, it feels like a cinematic, and your dude's in it and uh and the questing thus far with the uh culture ass is really cool like really cool i headed over to the place that i can't remember the names clearly because it just just started but uh where they haven't heard from them from mu- for months trust yes so you head over there and, and there's a few minor spoilers i'm not going to go very deep into it but i mean this is literally right at the beginning if you go there and you go and there's an effigy and there's a witch that's taken control and basically everybody's kind of frozen so not frozen in time because you were moving around and stuff but they're frozen and you gotta free them somehow and that again that was where i got the real supernatural feel that i loved uh, but yeah so far on that side at least I'm having a lot of fun. I I don't know how long it's all going to last, but I'm not dealing with the stupidity of the faction war here. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a little bit at the beginning, and that was well done too, where you are uh, bouncing between areas and whatnot to follow through the storyline is much better done here in terms of you not just going to a spot and talking to an NPC to get your quest, but arriving and as soon as you touch down, the NPCs start talking and there's something going on that you need to watch. And even after you get your quest, wait a little bit because they sometimes continue talking and you get that much more. Like in with Anduin, uh, when you are sent off, well, I kind of waited and Anduin asks Gen, uh, Jen, how are your sea legs? And he tells him, like, get a boat and I want you to go be an escort for them and a watch out for Jaina kind of thing. And it was really, not that she needs his fucking help, <laughs> but it was it was kind of well done. So thus far, because there's been very little of the, the faction bullshit, really fucking cool. Really fucking cool. And I love Call Taras right now. And that's one of the things I really, really like about the choice that they made to have players start on separate islands and sort of keep everything basically separate for Islam for a little while. Um, like even the the warfront start of your questing for that just says go gather resources and then come back and see me. Uh, and it sets that whole chain up. But you have at least four levels of gameplay before that even becomes like, let's go put a foothold on the other island. And even then, it's like isolated pockets of those zones. It's not like all over the place. And so the war is still a little bit detached and you don't have to worry about players griefing and, and things like that, which I think is important and I think it's good. Yeah, um, definitely. 
and and like you said, the the fact that they've they've put so much thought into little things like characters continuing the conversation after you turn in a quest or you know after you interact with them, those are really nice things because it makes it feel a little more alive, and you feel a little rewarded if you like stick around and see what happens. Yeah, and there's some cool interactions even on the horde side. Yeah, um, yeah, it's gonna really change the way that I uh, play the game. I mean, it's it it works in their favor because it's a time sink, but. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of time sink that we want in games because it's it's optional, entirely optional, and it's not necessary for plot development. It just really adds a lot to the flavor of the lore moving forward, and you get a different perspective on what's going on. That's a good time sink. Don't fucking make us waste our time. Make us allow us to enjoy it if we want to. And that's one of the things I appreciate, like truly, truly appreciate is that like the beginning of these quests, and we were talking about this because I was I was actually streaming this over at the Blizzard Watch uh, twi- uh, Twitch and we're doing shifts on it. One of the things we were talking about is that these beginning quests, these opening sequences don't feel like all of the other expansions where it's some variation on immediately going to kill 10 boars it's these interesting introductions to these zones and these people and these cultures with political intrigue on top of, you know, what your objective is, which is really cool because there's layers upon layers upon layers there. So the only thing I'll say is at least on the Alliance side, we're still getting the go kill 10 boars. You uh, always going to have that. Yeah, exactly. Luckily. It's a little bit before you get it though. Uh, not too much. Not too much, really. I like I did a whole bunch of them already, um, but because of the fact that there are so many of us that are playing right fucking now, <laughs> and because it's shared, it really doesn't take long to breeze through it. So that's why I didn't mind them as much because it literally only took like a, a minute or two, and then you're moving on to the next quest anyway. So with that said, though, like I said, we're not going to take too much time on on WoW because a we just talked about it. And, and also, it just fucking came out. So either next week or the week after, when we've put in a lot more time, we'll go through it again and give you some more news from both sides. So we do have some news from QuakeCon, which was just last week, and be it for Fallout 76 or any of the other titles. So Vince is going to run us through all of that. Yeah, we're going to start off with Fallout 76, because at least to me, that's the one that we kind of got the least out of, even though it was like an hour-long presentation. But a lot of it was just, you know, not terribly interesting, at least as far as I was concerned. Like, oh, yeah, if you kill people, you'll have a ransom on your head. And yeah, talk about like you can easily rebuild your towns if you save them as blueprints. But, you know, I'd rather not have to rebuild my town in the first place. But the one actually really interesting thing for me uh, about this was describing how the special system is going to work. For those who don't know, your stat and skill system is tied to the special attributes. Each one is, of course, a letter. Uh, associated with the relevant stat. So you have strength, perception, endurance, charisma, intelligence, agility, and luck. And for all of those, except for the C, you can find a use for them in Fallout 76 as opposed to regular games where, of course, having high charisma is very helpful when you're dealing with all the NPCs and shopkeepers and stuff that aren't going to be as much of a focus in this game, which is more about just open world survival and stuff. But they talked about how the system works, and as you level up the various stats, you can assign perks to them using a card-based system, which even you can find uh, card packs in-game that even come with a stick of gum for your character to chew, which I think is a fun little 
<laughs> to throw in there. So you can really customize your character with the different perks you have and give, you know, you have multiples of the same card. You can have one really good perk as opposed to a bunch of uh, smaller ones. But what's really cool is characters who invest a lot in the charisma stat can share their perks with the rest of their team. So if you wanted to be a very team oriented player, there's actually a really good purpose to invest in your charisma stat. So I think that's a fun little thing, twist on the traditional Fallout formula that's really uh, an interesting way to go about that for 76. It's kind of their own version of being a support class. Yeah, he could be the bard. Yeah. <laughs> I, I appreciate that, actually. That's one of the things that I think more games should do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just have those weird support classes. Also, shout out to the gum that will never, ever go stale. <laughs> or because it's already stale yeah. it's basically it's basically hard tack the gum and uh their inclusion of it so you know realism immersion <laughs> sweet yeah and uh they also went in a little bit about like actually being able to mutate your character with the radiation that's out there and gaining uh additional abilities but at the cost of you know your sanity and your intelligence so it again i'm still not super into 76 but it's nice to see them tweaking the formula to work in this setting instead of just copying and pasting what they already had after that, they showed off some more rage stuff. Again, not a ton more than we'd already seen in the past, but some really interesting things. First of all, starting with the the actual like story and setting of the game, it takes place 30 years after the original game. So you're not necessarily picking up where it left off, but seeing how the world evolved after that. And it actually has evolved. They've described it as a post-post-apocalyptic setting. So yes, shit went bad. Everything fell apart. There's wastelands everywhere. But we've gotten past that and things are starting to come back. So there's a lot of really nice environmental areas, different biomes, wetlands, forests, the deserts, of course, because you can't have a post-apocalyptic game without deserts, uh, snow tundras, lots of interesting stuff there. Went into some of uh, the various enemy factions. There's going to be numerous different types of bandits, all with their own aesthetics, as well as gameplay mechanisms associated with them. They showed off some awesome stuff with the driving this is the big uh selling point of having avalanche come in and help them out with this game because avalanche made the mad max game and that's kind of what rage was going for when the first one came out but didn't quite stick the landing so they showed the player in their beefed up freaking wasteland automobile going after a full convoy of bandits and it was fucking awesome like it looked like something out of mad max with Crazy weapons, ridiculous vehicles, over-the-top action. Absolutely looked cool as shit. It looked really cool. It does. Yeah. <laughs> and this idea, again, like you were saying, of it's a post-apocalyptic, -post I love that. Because it's far too often that post-apocalyptic, that's the end. They don't take the story that much further than that. This is really fucking cool. I, I dig that a lot. Mm-hmm. It felt a lot like uh, Near Automata or Enslaved uh, Journey to the West, the game that nobody but me played, where yes, it yeah. was in that next era where, okay, there's actual plant life and seeing how the Earth has evolved without a whole lot of human influences. I always very interesting. And they also showed off the actual gameplay itself, which we've seen before, but really showing the extra abilities and more fast-paced gameplay that Rage 2 was going to have even over its predecessor, which was already a fantastic action shooter, in that you have like, this crazy suit with double jumps and air dashes and ground pounds, a lot of which we've seen, but not quite 
the same way we did at QuakeCon because they talked about your overdrive mode that, you know, is essentially a super mode where you have extra uh, abilities and movement speeds and just badassery that's actually charged up by going out there and getting multi-kills and stuff. So it encourages a faster-paced gameplay to recharge that super and be able to use it more often as opposed to something like uh, Borderlands, which as much as I love Borderlands, you didn't have that same give and take between the gunplay and the super abilities for most of the subclasses where it was, okay, I shoot the guns until my cool abilities come back and then I do that. And so like seeing that this is a lot more like a gameplay cycle is actually really fun and encouraging the players to just go in there and use those awesome abilities as much as you can, because you're going to get more out of the game in the long run. That's awesome. Hey Vince, was there any more discussion about the severed mutant head voiced by Andrew WK in the, uh, in the stream? I, you know, I think we know everything we need to know about Crusher. He, He has a special place in all of our hearts and on some of our walls. (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome the big thing that everybody was expecting out of QuakeCon was of course the extended reveal of more doom eternal and i almost don't know where to start because holy shit <laughs> uh, i need to use hands like i watched that and i was just like okay yep yep give me <laughs> i guess we'll start off with the doom slayer himself who continues to be the greatest character in all of narrative gaming history by giving precisely zero fucks about the story that's going on around him. And I love him for it. (laughs) All he wants to do is kill fucking demons and he's awesome at it. Now that he has his shoulder mounted cannon, which we've seen used as a grenade launcher and a flamethrower and his new arm spike melee weapon, which comes up a lot in the glory kills and you could tell the animators just had all kinds of fun with that stuff his new weapon arsenal including a uh, much more classic take on the plasma rifle all kinds of like uh, there was some stuff that they just showed and didn't quite explain like switching out the barrels on his assault rifle like mid combat for extra abilities uh the new ballista weapon which essentially is a exploding harpoon gun And the big thing is the new upgrade to the super shotgun, which now has the meat hook attachment. Oh, so glorious. A fucking grappling hook that doesn't pull the enemies to you. It pulls you to the enemies and just watching the Doom Slayer flinging himself around these arenas. Oh, my God. I loved how they handled the gameplay where their first game. It was Spider-Man with guns in hell. (laughs) It looked like a lot of fun. (laughs) their first gameplay demo like he's playing through normally like how most people will play through the game like okay this looks really fun and they're like okay let's show gameplay the way that you're gonna see it at QuakeCon, cranked up with you know crazy high mouse sensitivity pumping out and just it it looked like a different game just from somebody who was way better than me playing it (laughs) and they ended that second demo with a look at i forget exactly what they called it but essentially invasion mode you got your Dark Souls in my doom mm-hmm. by being able to choose to pick up as a demon and invade other players' games. It's it just it's going to be fun as hell. Completely optional as the player. If you don't want to be open to invasions, you don't have to be. But shit, <laughs> like, it's a nice you? way. 
why wouldn't you? The, the, we keep wanting a better AI to make mm-hmm. the games more challenging. So if somebody wants to just bounce in, and it's not like they're bouncing into... It's not like it's another game where they'd just be trying to grief you. The entire purpose here is to grief yeah. you, but that's <laughs> what the purpose is of everything in the game, so it fits perfectly. Yeah, you can only fight so many Hell Knights or Pain Elementals before you kind of get the gameplay cycle down. But you put in one with an actual thinking brain, and that adds a whole new wrinkle. Yep. And it's nice that they're they're kind of reusing the the same formula they did in the uh, Doom 2016 multiplayer. I was just going to say that you yeah. could get the power ups to turn into various demons, and the multiplayer didn't quite take off for Doom 2016, but they're still finding a use for that programming and engineering that they put into it. And I think ultimately getting better use out of it in this game than in the last one. Well, yeah, because, I mean, that's one of the things, like, everybody's complaining that they didn't ask for, you know, multiplayer. We don't need multiplayer. We don't want multiplayer. It's boring because it's all deathmatch or the same thing. And even with the demons, it was like, eh. But now you have this where invasions are a little bit different, can happen at any time, and the player invading gets to be a demon. That is super cool, especially if it varies what demon you can spawn in as. Mm-hmm. See, what I was thinking, too, is that it's going to make it interesting because you don't really invest that much uh, attention in terms of of what it is that you're hunting kind of thing. But like you said, Vince, after a while, you do get used to the, the manner in which specific types of creatures move and whatnot. When you see that one that sticks out, it'll be a little bit more fun because it's going to be, oh, I know you're a person. And then there's kind of a... a a PVP one-on-one kind of thing that's going to wind up happening. And I, again, I really dig that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And, so initially and, I'm looking forward for to all the highlight reels of the players that figure out weird ways to screw with each other. <laughs> <laughs> but of course the demons themselves also got a bunch of upgrades, both aesthetically and gameplay wise. Uh, they now have like destructible parts on them. Lots of new enemies, including one that they very briefly showed off called simply the marauder big ass demon with looks like demonic power armor carrying a double-barreled shotgun of his own he's kind of seems to be set up as a reverse doom slayer a doom slayer slayer if you will so that's going to be don't know exactly what that's going to mean until we get there yet but another great wrinkle that of course if the you know humanity has their own champion eventually the hordes of hell will fight back with one of their own more stuff about the actual world and setting. We already know a lot of it's going to take place on Earth, but not just on Earth. They said more of it's going to take place on Phobos, as well as new realms of hell, and even beyond that. So it seems to me like they're setting up like almost kind of like using hell as a hub to be able to travel to other demon-infested worlds. Uh, some of the artwork they showed off, somebody point out, it didn't even occur to me at the time, one of them looks like it could be the Doom version of Heaven with creepy like cybernetic angels and shit and i'm like oh that would be awesome but the thing that kind of the thing that kind of caught me (laughs) was in some of those little bits of art artwork and stuff i was getting a very heretic and hexen vibe which were other games produced by uh id software i think they were developed by raven if i'm not mistaken but they were you know 90s doom clones if you will uh, FPS games, very, very focused on supernatural elements and magic and stuff. And 
if they're saying they want to create a Doom universe, I think that could be a really interesting direction to go in blending it in with some of their other franchises from back in the 90s. Complete conjecture, but it, I can't shake that work. feeling. Dude, there's a whole like Doom multiverse, you know, page on Wikipedia about the how the BJ, it's all related to the descendants of BJ Blazkowicz, Wolfenstein, and you're, it's all the same related stuff. It's, it's, it's all one universe. Yeah. Yeah. It's like very Michael Moorcock, uh, well, you know, hero of infinite universes. That's actually a throwback to the, the, the interesting thing to me is it's a throwback to the 90s comic, the Doom comic. Because, like, I remember that as a kid, and I remember reading that and going, that makes so much sense that there's, it's totally the same dude. And, like, it, it's, it was just one of those moments. So I, I appreciate that they're circling back to that after so long. I, I, we, in the grand scheme of things, they still haven't actually shown us a whole lot, but they've shown us enough. And we know the game that it's all based on was fantastic. So even adding small little enhancements like they've shown here, small little enhancements. Yeah, fucking grappling because of small enhancement. But you know what I mean? <laughs> They're not overhauling it. They're just adding more cool shit on top of their already cool shit. Set it to another badass Mick Gordon soundtrack and just rip and tear. I'm going to fucking love this game. I think we all agree. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's, that's all I got. <laughs> Was that it from QuakeCon? Uh, yeah, it's all that really caught my eye. Um, there might have been other stuff, but I think they talked a little bit about Quake Champions, but I don't care. They talked about the um, uh, next expansion for Elder Scrolls Online as well, which is going to be taking them. They talked about that at QuakeCon? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, they, they also talked about, um, what else did I see? Uh, the VR stuff for Prey and... The other one. I'm not imagining this. I'm telling you, I. <laughs> I believe you. I'm gonna look it up. I don't care. I'm gonna take this pause out. <laughs> so every article I saw is everything we learned about Fallout, Prey, or not Prey, Fallout, Rage, and Doom. <laughs> okay, so yeah, they talked about the VR spinoffs for Prey and Wolfenstein, which sounded interesting. More so the one for Prey than Wolfenstein. The one for Wolfenstein is Cyberpilot, which also is really cool. And you get to kind of go into one of those massive, um, uh, what do they call the, the mechanical hounds that spew fire. But you can go in there and you're kind of doing, killing in as many Nazis as you can. The, the Prey one, though, was really cool because you get dropped into a, a, like an office space in there which the this the oh god the the game design was so fantastic and i just the idea of wandering around and looking for shit is is i like that and it's puzzles you basically have to figure out how to get out of the room you're locked in so it's but they i thought that they would kind of allow you to well, not allowed that there would be mimics in there, so you'd be careful of what you touch. I mean, that's the whole point of the VR, that you feel <laughs> like you're there. It'll jump out and give you that jump scare, but they said there's none of that. It's actually just purely puzzle. But they are putting in a kind of a multiplayer as well, where uh, 
there's going to be one actual person and some mimics as well. And then you try to, it's basically, if I'm not mistaken, it sounded kind of like a hide and seek. Just try to stay still so that they're not changed too much. And so that he doesn't pick up that coffee cup, which is actually you. And if you last a certain amount of time, you win. So that actually That's a prop hunt sort of deal. That actually is a good fit for prey. It's a beautiful fit. Also, if there is, I don't, I didn't read, but if there's some form of, some fighting or something once they come out that would be really cool as well because you have that jump scare but then you got to also defend yourself so you got to do something so i don't know if that's in it but that would be kind of cool if if it was so yeah there was those two things that i read that were pretty cool the uh elder scrolls online expansion if i can quickly find it wolf hunter and that is going to be coming out august 13th so that's uh they've today yeah yeah today so they've done the um werewolf stuff before there was the expansion the blood moon expansion for uh morrowind way back in the day so this is not unusual so yeah that's uh that sounded pretty cool as well i'm i'm not playing elder scrolls online right now but not because i have any problems with it but just because i'm playing well with my son so you can only play so many mmos yeah all right, let's move on from there then. We got some gameplay footage that actually said quite a bit about what's coming up in Red Dead Redemption 2. Go ahead, Joe. Oh, yeah, dude. That was a it was a six minute video, but that six minute video packed in so much stuff. Uh, first is the weapons. One of the things that that people who play the original Red Dead Redemption would probably remember is that the weapons were period accurate as far as as much as they could make them. Uh, as far as like amounts of kickback during that time that they could. But now things have gotten, well, just so much better. Uh, detailed gun designs uh, definitely showcasing the firearms of that time period with uh, accurate recoil and reload times. Uh, like that's absolutely an insane amount of detail. And they showed some of the combat where, you know, take your last shot and how long it takes you to reload and, and then re-aim, and then the kickback from taking the shot, and then having to bring the, the reticle back down. Uh, it was really, really cool. Um, there also is potentially, and this is a rumor, I don't think it's been confirmed, that there might be a small level of customization to some of these for, like, the different handles, just like the Old West, just like they used to do, uh, so that it was the great way to personalize guns. I think that's a really nifty, nifty sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is one of the, the problems that I have with a lot of games of this nature is they have giant fucking combat reticles. Uh, this one is back to being the tiny one. It's unobtrusive. It doesn't take you out of the game world. And that's one of the things I appreciated about it is because they're keeping the UI minimal. And I think that's so important when you're trying to tell a story in a game, because if the UI is completely in the way, it sort of pulls you out of it. And even like having that that small dot for the targeting reticle that the map being as small as it is in the lower corner and nothing else is perfect as long as it's bright enough because even in the video as i was watching i was thinking it'd be very easy to lose it so it wouldn't be as bad on pc but on on like the the, the xbox one or something i I would have a problem, I think, every once in a while just in finding it on the screen, especially when there's a lot of action going on. And that's fair. Um, but I also think that's part of the point of it as well, if that makes sense. 
But it, it kind of doesn't, though. And this is, I, I know what you're trying to say, but I don't think that it does because it's not a, uh, you can't just shoot from the hip in a game. It, like in reality, yes, because you're using your spatial awareness of where everything is. You're using all kinds of things like that so that you can try to guess as best you can. But here it's about where your cursor is on a screen, which could be anywhere. So to me, it doesn't, it's not near, it, you can't equate the two. I, I can understand where you're coming from on that, but I think for me, part of it also is that it's okay because the dead aim or the dead eye aim system is back in and that sort of is where you really want the reticle to be and shine. And it absolutely does because of the sepia overtones. So, I mean, let's, I'll talk about that a little bit, just the transition into it. But Arthur Morgan, which is one of the playable characters that we know of, at least something they showed off, uh, definitely showcases the dead eye system where time slows, things kind of fade out, they get they oversaturated, and you can just go to town making murder. And I think that's actually really kind of cool that it's making a return. Honestly, if it didn't have it, I would be very, very sad. Nobody has anything else to say on that. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Where have you um, been the last 10 years? This is how we do it. <laughs> uh, the other thing that got an overhaul is melee combat, and you can see this just from watching the video. Everything looks more detailed. One of the things about the old Rockstar games is that melee was, I'm going to stand here and throw a couple punches, and they're going to look really, really stiff, and there's going to be hardly any interaction between me and the person I'm hitting, except for maybe a, a dull, wet thump, and they hit the ground. Well, it's it's back and been revamped. And while I wouldn't say it's a focus, it's definitely a huge step forward. It's it's not quite at dueling uh, caliber from what we can see, but punches and brawls look like punches and brawls. Uh, the grapples, kicks, shoves, blocks, grounding people. It's really, really cool. See, what I took from that, and it, it was hard to tell because it's hard to tell if it that was like gameplay stuff happening or if it was just staged gameplay in order to kind of show off different things. But if this was actual gameplay when the, what they're showing, I, what I like is that again, it's and it's a problem that I have in in games that use fighting melee combat as well. Like you said, it's just that that weird punch, 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 and. If somebody goes down, your you know your X button is still going to do the same punch, 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 or whatever. Whereas, it should be uh, dynamic and adapt to what the situation is. So th the first X might be a jab, but then if the person kind of loses their footing and starts backing up, the next one X might be you charging in and using an elbow or something. And then when they hit the ground, that next X is going to be something different. And clearly you're going to use more than just one button because you don't want it just to be one button pushing all the time. But what I'm trying to say is have the abilities while still being, be it based on an arm or a type of punch or, or something like that, an opener or a closer or whatever, but make it so that it's different based on if the person is getting beaten down, that's how you're going to have a far more dynamic uh, uh, combat system in the game and that's kind of what I was seeing there yeah I mean I don't know what <laughs> else to if say. you would have given me one more second there I was going to go oh so you got nothing <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know. I, I'm hoping that it's going to stay at a forefront, I guess would be the best way to put it. Um, one of the other things that we did learn about the game as well is that it's going to be traveling across the breadth of America during this time period. And while that may seem unimportant as for, to some people, it's like, oh, you're just traveling across the country. Uh, it's a little more important here because of all of the different environments in basically places you get to go see heavy forests, the marshlands, uh, deserts, uh, tundras, like or, or tundra adjacent locations. Like you're going to get to see a lot of different areas. So it's not just going to be one thing like that. As big as the old game was, it was all the same mud town, right? Like you were, you were there or you were in Mexico and it all looked the same minus maybe a few of the buildings, but here it's, it's all over the place and it's visually stimulating in that regard. So well, I mean, you know, traveling across the country is a much bigger deal in the 1800s yes. than it is now where you're pretty much stuck with horseback unless you happen to be going to one of the places the train goes. And, and that's true. And I think that's really, really cool. Um, at least in my, it, it, from a, a, I don't want to say immersion standpoint, but I guess I will. It just makes perfect sense. And along that same vein, uh, the ecosystems are supposed to be dynamic. And this is what they said during the, the overview of it, right? So you're going to say that, Fucking right. That was incredible. Tell me another game where an encounter like they showed with those wolves and the bear looked that amazing and accurate. Because I've been racking my brain trying to think of one. And I cannot think of another one where the wildlife looked as natural as what was in that one short little clip. Yeah, I I can't. I really, really can't. I think mean, we've we've gotten some some games that try to be close to that, but you could tell that they actually like brought people in who were experts in this field and asked them questions and started programming around what the responses were because even even the freaking buzzards man well the like, thing too is that and, and this is going to remain to be seen for me at least one of those things because you can see in different games where there are encounters scripted encounters like those wolves fighting that bear something similar to that and it's always going to be that so they can really tweak it so that it works really well but if mm -hmm. this is supposed to be all dynamic stuff that is happening as these creatures come upon each other kind of thing and that it wasn't scripted as meticulously then that is so impressive like Holy fucking hell. One of the things I'm interested in, or at least I want to see if it happens, is I'm curious if, let's say you're trying to run from a bear and you, I don't know, wound a horse, if the bear goes off after the horse instead. Yeah. Like, because it's an easier meal. Like, that would be really cool if if there's sort of the, those thoughts that you could sort of go. I agree. Yeah. Now, the uh, speaking of that, they wanted to have a, what they call a reactive world, and they, they talked about this as well, uh, where your actions, uh, basically who you kill, who you don't kill, uh, whether you burn down a, a barn or, you know, whatever the case is, changes how the game interacts. And the example that they gave in a couple of things is, you know, dude shoots, he shoots out a barrel or kills a dude and bats fly off from the roof. Uh, little tiny things like that. Whereas if you snuck up on the dude and took him out, 
bats would still be there kind of hanging around. It's or how horses react to you and, and things like that, which I think is really, really nifty. Well, see, that plays into what you just said about shooting a horse to get the bear off your track. Yeah. Because if you can plan an encounter where you have to take somebody out and you can plan on, okay, if I shoot over there, the bats are going to fly out and spook him so that it's kind of like a stun at that point and you can have a better chance of taking him out. That kind of thing. Holy fuck. Again, <laughs> if that's what we can expect from this, that's pretty goddamn incredible. Or, and this I think would be absolutely funny, what if I could start leaving meat trails of all, like, just pieces of meat that, <laughs> that happens to lead wild animals to my target? Dude, <laughs> if they can do something like that as a game of the year, I don't care what else comes out this year. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole new mini game in and of itself. If I, if I could turn a pack of wolves onto like this this gang or, or this rival gang's hideout, fuck yeah, I'm going to do it. And that's going to be fucking great. I want to take a whole bunch of scrap meat, do the same thing, but lead them into town, into the saloon, and then slowly <laughs> barricade the doors as well so that I, I just keep bringing more and more in there. Now, the other thing that they talked about being important beyond just, you know, your wild encounters in a dynamic world is they really want to focus on sort of the bond between you and your horse. And I think that's interesting and definitely necessary because one of the big things about being a cowboy was the horse. It was a bond between a man and beast. All those lonely nights. Maybe for you. I don't know. I'm too short. Anyway, um, but it's, it's one of the things that definitely failed or didn't feel present in the old game the horse was just a horse, right? You could call it, you could get on it. It meandered, but that was it. Here, you actually have to put time into the horse to earn its trust. And this is from breaking a wild bronco, which they showed, um, or taming a wild stallion, to brushing and caring for your horse, to you know, giving it the right saddlebags, to feeding it the right foods. And as you sort of level up your horse, you get better handling skills. It's totally fucking Breath of the Wild in that regard, and then some. And I'm okay with that because I think that's kind of important. Um, also, I think the way that the horses are animated, they definitely studied real horses this time. Oh, yeah. Um, which makes me think that we're not going to have horses flying through the air, hopefully, because that was really disconcerting the first time around. So, uh, and and I think that's, that's cool. And they also show some of the failures where, like, the horse bucks Morgan off, and it's like, yeah, that happens. The other thing that I thought was really cool was that they wanted to have more dynamic encounters with strangers in the world as well. Because in the old game, basically everything was scripted. And if you did have an encounter with somebody, it was 50-50 that it was going to be like, you know, a draw fight. It was going to be a showdown or something like that. They look like they're trying to make it more organic where people are going to have, you know, reactions to you based off of your notoriety. Uh, and then, you know, whether they run or they ask you for help or, or whatever the case is, uh, and your reputation actually matters as soon as they hear your name. And I think that's cool. And they want to have people that run up to you and, you know, task, like want to ask you to do stuff for them or maybe somebody tries to rob you or, you know, maybe somebody doesn't rob you because you have a, a reputation of like a thumb taker or something like that. I like that they're putting more thought into that and hopefully it'll feel a little less scripted. And I would like to see more divergent encounters between our gameplays like we do with other games. I think that's really important. 
Well, you need that in the world as well. It can't just be you wandering around. There has to be interaction, mm-hmm. not just with these specific NPCs that are part of your gang or whatever, or just very, very specific quest NPCs or whatever, but just a lot more of the NPCs in the world so that you can have that that organic feel to to a, a living, breathing world kind of thing. So, yeah, I absolutely dig that. I, I hope they push that far. Now, of course, characters, NPCs are a big part of the game world. In the first game, the NPCs that you interacted with, the side characters, as you, as you will, were just as important to the story as your player character was, not just the people you're going after, but the people that were keeping you safe, the people that ran the ranches, that ran the stores, the saloons they were important and they're bringing back what looks like to be an interesting set of characters from all various walks of life. Looks like there's a little mad scientist. Looks like there's a, a madam, the, you know, the cripple that might actually not be crippled. Um, maybe another more gunslingers. It, it's really, really cool to see that they're putting thought into these characters. And I'm hoping that they're as deep as they can be, because as you interact with those characters from moving from place to place, those are going to be your anchor points for story. And and I think that's really important. They're also bringing back parlor games. Uh, so you're... <laughs> Roger saw cards and got excited. Yes. <laughs> I want to play poker in Cowboy Town. Roger, I noticed you have 147 hours in Red Dead Redemption 2. How are you liking the story? story? Who the fuck cares? <laughs> I'm trying to get my boots back. What story? <laughs> I ordered everybody in, and now we're all playing poker. They took my horse. I got to get it back. <laughs> that's where I was going with it. So I, I think that's cool. Those were really an interesting side distraction. And, of course, they're going to have probably the uh, ability to cheat, but they showed Liar's Dice, Blackjack Poker, and Five Finger Filet, uh, the knife game if you will. Uh, and I think that's kind of cool that there's going to be different ones. Cause in the original, there was only poker. So you can get that on there. Other than that, like there's, there's just like a ton of other stuff. Like they want organic side quests that pop up for you. Uh, they want little distractions, like going out on a boat and fishing or, you know, sitting around a campfire with a bunch of settlers or, you know, people and just like wanting the world to feel alive, uh, especially because your character is on the run. And you have lawmen and bounty hunters after you. And it, that just can't be the whole story. You have to be moving on. And as you move on, you need to encounter new and different things. The more I see about this, the more I read about it, the more excited I honestly get. You you hit the nail on the head for me there, too. When you were saying, like, it can't just be about that escaping the um, the law. It has to be a lot more going on. And that's kind of what had worried me a little bit initially. And then after we see this, it's like, oh, okay, no. You guys know what you're doing. I'm really looking forward to playing this. Okay. One of things where you just have to accept. Rockstar has not fucked up a story mode yet. So until they do, I think one of the few situations where a gaming company kind of gets the benefit of the doubt. It sounds like even a game that my wife would play like she loves absolutely loves cowboys and like makes you know we had to go to see like uh the 310 to yuma remake which was not great but she loved it so maybe shannon will be reporting on red dead redemption too maybe shannon could take your place for a few episodes (laughs) (laughs) how many people would be happy raise your hand oh wait (laughs) podcast i don't fucking care also uh, you say that they've never screwed up a, uh, a story in a game state of emergency 
it's been a long time since they screwed up a story. <laughs> <laughs> that guy okay, had a story. Yeah. All right, let's move on from there. I don't know about you guys, but I was fucking shocked to hear about Torchlight Frontiers and seem to come out yeah. of nowhere. And I got some ideas, and they're not all very good, but Marty, you looked into this more too. I did, and there's not a lot out there, but what is out there is kind of intriguing. I'm going to start first with the the cinematic that they released. So I, I'm coming to this completely new. I know very little about Torchlight other than veteran Diablo developers have been on this project, and currently uh, the project lead of this game said that there are more people who've worked on Diablo's, you know, one and two than there are who worked on the original Torchlight games. Um, and I know Vince, you've talked about Torchlight a lot and Joe, you have all three of us have. Yes. So this is, uh, it starts out in the very first second of the cinematic that we see, this woman's leading this, you know, this speech about defending civilization against the ravaging hordes as they set a foothold in this new land. And all I could think of was like, wow, she really looks like a conquistador. That's like, that's interesting, but that doesn't make her a good guy. That kind of makes her a bad guy. Um, what is kind of cool is that they're doubling down on the pet uh, game mechanic, wherein your pet will fight with you. You can use your pet to send it off to go sell stuff for you. Uh, there seems to be the beta is you can sign up for it now, but there isn't a ton other than doubling down on pets. It's going to be co-op. A lot of concern on the internet about this being a MOBA. They don't, people do not want, you know, a MOBA. They, and they're not calling this game an MMO. They're calling it a shared persistent world uh, that extends their universe. Um, so what are some of the fears that you guys have had? Let's see if I know anything new about this setup. I've been talking a lot, so I'm going to let you, one of you two guys, go first. I mean, without getting into the weird business aspects of Runic and Perfect World Entertainment, reading with the interviews with uh, with Schaefer, that one term pops up that just immediately sets off the red flags is good old game as a service. So, mm -hmm. mm. Mm. I mean, what do you expect? They're owned by Tencent still. Yeah, it, it's kind of what they do, but it's just, it's not a, a phrase I like associated with things that I really enjoy, such as Torchlight. Yeah. yeah. And then you also get into the other bullshit. What's the other bullshit? Because, like, as a person who just read it, I'm like, this seems interesting. And saying game as a service, the they also defined it into, well, that I know about the closing of Rooney Studios. That's garbage. Um, that was awful. I, it, it's just a matter of it. If that's what you're using to define your vision for the game this early on in development, it just kind of paints a picture when you're using that, that marketing talk that at this point, you know, again, experienced uh, people who follow gaming, it, it sets off red flags. It's just, it's, I, I can accept games as service as a thing, as a business model. You know what? Use that that terminology internally if you want. But if it's kind of at the forefront of your your public perception of the game, I don't I don't like that. What's the difference between games as service and MMO as game platform? So 
MMO is a game that you pay either pay a subscription fee for or buy uh, access one time and go forth, and they don't require you to pay money to progress or to keep playing. Um, basically, it's either a one-time fee or a recurring fee that, that covers everything you do in the game. Games as service rely on nothing but microtransactions, and the problem with those is it goes beyond like, oh, this is a cosmetic thing. What we've seen lately is what that has come to mean is loot boxes. And so it, that's the most e egregious thing I could really use as an example, right? It's, yeah. it's you have a potential chance if you give us real money to maybe get something that allows you to progress further in the game. And if you don't, sorry, give us more money this is the shit that people have been rallying against. And so when you literally say your game is going to be a games as a service, that's what comes to mind. That's what everybody, at least in, that I know brings up is, well, I don't want to have to pay to win. I don't want to have to pay to maybe win. I just want to pay to have this game and play it. Leave me alone. So I'm almost curious if if Max was under contract and stuck there and needs to do this because I mean he didn't exactly seem enthusiastic from what I from what I have read. See, I I don't want to make assumptions. I'm spitballing and guessing kind of thing, but because of how much we saw here and because they had been talking about a torchlight online kind of thing for some time and the closing of runic well the buying out of runic and then the closing but i mean to me it felt like some of runic and possibly most who knows was not on board with this idea of the torchlight online as a games mm -hmm. and service but perfect worlds was pushing it and, and forcing, and it was one of these, you're not doing it, fine, and and shutters runic. But then, why would Perfect World reach out to Schaefer to start a new studio and work on Torchlight Frontiers? To me, it makes a lot more sense that he would approach them, and, and either this was already decided before runic was even shuttered, or it was immediately after kind of saying okay we're just going to start a new studio and we'll do what you guys want and we'll put this out kind of thing so in either case it doesn't really paint him in the most positive light and i'm not saying that's what happened but that's what that's what i'm seeing i don't disagree and and we don't know the full story so it could yeah. be it could be he went to them uh and said i want to do this and i'll do this because this i think is a great idea or it could also be, like I said, he may have had a contractual obligation to produce one more game for them. But that uh, would have been under Runic, though. It wouldn't have been a contract with him, but it, but rather with Runic. That depends on the wording of the contract, because we've seen this in the past before, too, where if as a co-founder of the Runic name and owner of that brand, he might be held responsible for it. Yep. So there, there's an entire possibility that that's what happened, is that you know, he owed them one more game or quote-unquote Runic owned them one more game, but because at this point Runic's dissolved, he is Runic, he has to go in and do this. And, and but if that was the case, 
Uh, sorry to interrupt you. I, I thought you were done. No, no, that's uh, fine. If that were the case, then he wouldn't have closed Runic. Even if a bunch of people would have said, we're not all right with this, it would have been, well, okay, then you guys are gone, if man, and we'll replace you. Choice. That's the thing. That's right? what like, I'm so, saying. So if, if I, I totally agree with you, and I don't think he would, he would close Runic and then do the... Our interactions with Max in the past have, have led me to believe that he's not that type of person. But I'd like to say the same thing, but we don't. We, we, we talked to we him for know. a little bit. We don't. I'm not even going to pretend to know him. Like, he That's could fair. be the biggest asshole in the world, but just give a really good interview. We we don't know. So I, I don't want to say that he's done anything wrong here or imply. It's just, again, we guessing at what I think might have happened Again, that's 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 how I read it. Now, the other thing too, like I said, is is the holders could have said that they were that all these people were fired and they're gone and that was it. Uh, that happens a lot when your shareholders want you to shore up the bottom line. It's entirely possible. We we don't know, and but everything that we hear about this, I'm with Vince. I'm really fucking wary. So I just did a whole a little bit of a deep dive into the comments, which I tend not to do because. I'm not a masochist, but the people on the IGN article who were commenting were pretty much echoing everyone's thoughts here regarding um, this looks like it's just a giant cash grab. Perfect world doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. Um, this is not a company that I'm very familiar with, but honestly, selling games as a service and having you, you know, power the game with play to win. If that's the style of game that's going to become up, come up with it, like it's the end of torchlight as a viable you know game world i mean it's not i mean perfect world has run games that aren't complete shit shows like you know they're they're responsible for neverwinter and star trek online which are doing much better in their uh in-game economics now than they were previously so it's not that perfect world is an automatic no but it, it's just it's again it's another flag when used with the certain marketing technology and the questionable rise and fall of Runic Studios. It's just, it's a perfect storm of very uncomfortable and potentially bad thing. All right, let's move on from there very briefly. Well, I, I, I got back into No Man's Sky. I mentioned <laughs> that before. I have gotten back into No Man's Sky. Holy fucking hell. Like I played around a little bit with a new character just to see, how much it changed and it didn't take long that I was like oh, okay no I'll pick up on this on my other guy because he's a lot more loaded with shit so I got on that that main character and I have been playing the fuck out of it and having a blast again the implementation of the freighters and not just your own to get your fleet but to like attack freighters out there is a lot of fun um as long as you're close to somewhere where you can land, because those fucking sentinels do not leave you alone in space, unlike planetside. <laughs> like, I had to, at one point the other night, I was attacking a fleet because you make mad fucking money off of those bastards, and I had a couple of sentinels coming after me, and it doesn't matter if you kill them, if you destroy them, because immediately new ones are sent out and as long as they are on your tail or the other ones are coming you can't warp out and the one thing that this game does exceptionally well is give you an appreciation of the distance in space 
because you see a big planet in front of you, you think, oh, I can make it there, and the Sentinels, I'll just kind of hide out on the planet, and then they do leave you the fuck alone. That planet will take you over a fucking hour to get to <laughs> using just your normal hyperspace booster to thing, whatever the fuck it's called. And and that's moving a good clip. It's fucking annoying. I hope they patch that shit. Because I was the other night, had to do just that. And I'd raided so much from so many fleets that it was like, I am not losing this shit. And I know that you can get killed and then just go back into space from wherever you are your last save was and just retrieve your ship. But I've also had that happen where I couldn't find my quote-unquote corpse. <laughs> so it was like, fuck that shit. I and know so, I parked around here somewhere. That's exactly what it was. So I was like, fuck that. So I spent over an hour with my one finger on shift, the other one on W, watching videos on my Mac on the other screen beside me because I had to get to the fucking planet and those goddamn Sentinels wouldn't leave me alone. But everything that they've done to improve the game is noticeable from somebody who played at the very beginning for a lot and then took a break. It's really noticeable. It's fantastic. The I've found several planets now that have been really cool the graphics have improved so much that i used to always look around at the planets when i got onto them and appreciate everything that's there but now you also look out into space and see so many things around you as well that are spectacular looking like i'm sure you've seen the screenshots of it too like there's there's planets that i've landed on uh one of them was a dead planet so it just had a hard crust on it, and it had Saturn rings on it as well. And I just kind of landed on it, got out of the ship, and just fucking stood there looking at this with the rings going right over top of my head in this nice angle and everything else and seeing other moons around and the stars. It was just spectacularly beautiful. But I also play, started playing We Happy Few. Uh, Vince and I were talking about that briefly beforehand. And before I get into my thoughts, I'm curious because you said you'd read pretty much nothing but people saying bad or negative things about it. What kind of things were they saying? Because I'm very curious. I just, again, I haven't looked too much at the game. I, you know, I've seen it's you know, various reviews and stuff, but like, the, the only ones that I've actually like spent time with, like uh, Waypoint didn't have a whole lot nice to say about it insofar as like it lacked an identity where like, early on in its development it was uh, a survival game but that's not quite how people expected it to be so it's it's a game where it doesn't quite have its own identity as to what it wants to be they weren't outright negative but they also weren't exactly positive and like just seeing uh some reviewers on twitter like talking about how the game is just straight up broken in a lot of ways like not functional uh, so was this I have not... alpha though or was this no this was like release? last week well don't forget like reviewers got review copies which are based off the beta not the final build so that's the, the the other thing too yeah because i haven't had literally a single bug of any kind yet like it's been smooth throughout and i put in quite a few hours already like it's that fucking good I, I, I can't game. say for sure if it's a good game or if it's a bad game. I have no firsthand experience. I haven't gone out specifically looking for any information on the game just because I'm not looking to pick up another new game right now. 
but anything that I have passively kind of observed has come across my radar has been negative. Maybe it's just, you know, small sample size, bad luck coming across, but I, I, I'm not going to refute your own experience, of course. I think a lot of it, though, too, at least some of the the negative stuff that I've been reading about it tends to smack of people who are butthurt because the game stopped being a $20 indie darling at some point mm-hmm. and became a $60 AAA title with, you know, a lot more content. Yeah, the identity of the game changed, but I'm willing to give it a chance because if they're telling a very interesting story and we know that they're telling it through at least three characters, right? there's that's way bigger of a scope than they had before, which meant they had access to more resources to do more. This might be closer to their original vision and I'm okay with giving them a chance. And I was talking with Roger a little bit about this. Like he mentioned that it's a must pick up for me and I think he's right. And I will absolutely be picking it up when I'm, you know, done with my battle for Azeroth coma. Uh, But it's like, the people that are talking about it are, are especially with the identity thing. I'm sorry. I just, I can't get behind them. I can't, I can't agree. Games are allowed to change direction. They're allowed to, you know, grow beyond what they were originally pitched as. How many times no, have we I, seen? I absolutely agree that just, again, the way I read the, their particular review was that in the final product that they played, it still didn't have that identity. Then that the shift during development didn't quite come across in the finished product in their opinion. So sure. again, I, I can't, I can't tell you how their opinion would affect your experience or my experience. That's, that's how reviews work. See, the only thing that I can see for that in terms of why somebody would say that is because like, like Joe said, there, there's been quite a bit of changing with the game and, and not only am I all right with that, but I think that had the game come out just as this silly game where the government is trying to keep everybody happy and, and, and such, and you are breaking out of that, had it only been that, then I would have been disappointed. Everybody would be after a while. I mean, sure, you'd look at it and go, oh, it was worth 20 bucks and it was fun and silly. But the moment that you look at what is going on in the game now and appreciate the breadth of of that world and what they've accomplished it not only warrants that AAA title it is it uh, without having finished it already it is one of those types of games where I, I really wish you guys were playing it because it's kind of like life is strange it's just you want to talk about it because what is going on is so cool. So there's going to be some spoilers here, but I'm not, I'm going to try really hard not to spoil too much, but there's definitely going to be a few things that, that get spoiled because of the manner in which the, the game is told through the lens of this having to take joy and, and be always happy. And, and when you don't, you actually see what is going on. It creates this very creepy kind of atmosphere in the game. And it's a very unique kind of creepy atmosphere because it's kind of cartoonish in how it's animated as well kind of thing. So it's very it's very weird. So when you're getting these moments where uh, something bizarre is happening that's unsettling or whatever... It also has this kind of weird look to it, this this 
odd cartoonish look to it. And I adore it. I'm not that's not speaking negatively of it. That's that's I fucking adore it. And they use audio engineering and voice acting so bloody well. It's unbelievable. Like there's a spot there's a, a point after you've escaped the, the main town where the happy people stay and you are amongst the people who have been thrown out because happy bills ain't working on them anymore. Um, if you go out at night, and this is what I, was, I did at one point, and you can hear like this weird music playing. And again, creepy as fuck. And you've already met some of the locals and they ain't always all that happy with you either. So you're kind of careful what you're doing out there. And so I'm wandering around and I come across a table set with a tea set and everything right out of Alice in fucking Wonderland with these weird dolls and mannequin bodies stuck on the chairs and whatnot. And it was just unsettling. And then you go not, you know, 30, 40 feet away from there and there's a house. And again, you have another phonograph that's playing a record creepy as fuck and you got to kind of get in by by going underneath some boards and whatnot so you go in and there's still some candles and there's some scratches on the wall and by this point you've figured out some of what happened in this world and it ain't good like it's really bad and then you make your way through and you find all of these clues to what happened to the people in the house and there's a few different ones like that like the 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 lore in the game is spectacular. So what has happened is that um, during the Second World War, instead of fighting Germany, not Germany, fighting the Nazis, the U.S. didn't do anything. So they did not join the fight. So this left England to fight on their own, and they gave Thank up you for at one listening point. To For the Lord. Are you if fucking like kidding me? Hold on one second. We're gonna turn that. We've <laughs> run too long of the Oscars playing the music. If you take your joy, if this was a cartoon right now, there'd be a cane pulling me off the stage. But fuck you. Shut up, Sarah. I'm not playing this at the end of the episode you heard it i don't care if we were talking through it <laughs> so anyway so england gives into fascism and is overtaken by the nazis and the 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 home guard who were volunteers in reality who fought against the nazis as they were coming on the beach sacrifice their lives to protect England while the soldiers were taken away and a lot of them couldn't make it into the military for a variety of different reasons. Well, here the home guard is kind of given in and they just do whatever they're told and they're controlled by the, the Nazis. So you, even though you're, you're, and this takes place in England. So your guy, Arthur, he's, he's English, even though you're, you're all English, they will kill your ass. Like they are, they are, under Germany's or under the Nazis rule and complicit now in their war crimes as well. So there's this alternate history now because of that. So you start off the game 
uh, I don't want to say innocently because it's not fucking innocent, but you're you're doing your little censoring the news of what gets through and what doesn't because you you work at the propaganda paper kind of thing. And so or, or station, I think you yeah, you no, it's a paper. So you you pass things and then you interact with the people who are there and there's there's all those moments that we saw early on kind of in the Kickstarter. And so it starts off with this in mind. And it's as you read different things in the paper, be it at your office or any of the others, like break into all the offices and, and use their machine. Cause you get that much more lore to see what is happening. And so you get all of these stories in the paper that are reminding you also of what occurred because very early on as well, when, when, when the Nazis took over, they sent all the children by train to Germany. And so the character that you play was too old, so stayed behind, but his brother went to Germany. And the whole thing is to try to go and, and get his brother. And you find out different things and you have these memories of what happened and they're profound. Like at one point you, um, there was a, a, they were trying to force parents to register their kids so that they knew where all the children were so they can go and grab them and take them to Germany to hold essentially as hostages so that every, the, the, the country would do what they were told. And there were some people who fought against that and the home guard hung them in public view for everyone to see what would happen if you defied the Nazis and by Jesus. default then. So it's like profound. And there's a moment, I didn't see this, but the person who reviewed it for Polygon talks about there's a, uh, a memorial that's uh, somewhere in the game that you can see that talks about the uh, St. Crispin's Day uprising where the, ho the Home Guard fought off the Germans, sea attack. And if you go there, I don't know if it's all the time or just at a certain time, but you'll see a soldier there. Now, normally if they see you, they kill you. But the, the whoever it was, I didn't read their name. They were talking about kind of creeping and just watching. And this soldier was just kind of hunched over and crying. And you don't know if it's because they were there and they they don't like what has has become of the country, what's become of themselves, the people that they lost while they were there. Who knows? But there's you don't really know. But later and, and I'll stop after this, because, again, I don't want to give too much away. But later on, you got to go on this quest for somebody. And again, all of the people that you meet throughout here and the people that you interact with for questing and things like that. Super superbly well-written unbelievable that that blend of not just quirky but just quirky in a while still being a little funny a little realistic when you think of what they've gone through and that so many of them have lost their fucking minds and so you get these really kind of interesting interactions and one of the people that you go you have to to infiltrate one of these home guard uh, stations camps to turn the power off and while you're there, you find out that the the there's tanks there, a whole bunch of tanks. And the Home Guard, back in the day, used those saying that the Germans had brought them over as a means of enforcing the rule that the, the Nazis wanted for sending the kids over. And you find out, because you fall through one of them, that it's just paper mache 
and kind of like when the British use the inflatable ones, well, these are paper mache, and they just use them, the the Home Guard, to intimidate their own people in sending over these kids to Germany. And so your character at that point is furious because the whole time they're they, they're constantly saying, talking about their brother Percy. And how they they need to go and get them. And you get these flashes of what really did happen. Because once they're on joy for a while, they kind of forget as well. And they have to, the memories kind of flash back. And so he's he's so upset because of this. Because he keeps saying, like, they could have fought them off. Sure, some of them would have died. But the kids at least would have remained. And so this person who wrote the article, I didn't do this because I didn't find that person, but I'd like to think I probably would have done the same. Went back to the memorial, found the person, and didn't just knock him out or put him in a chokehold to make him unconscious. They killed him because it's those people and their war crimes that are the reason why your character's brother got taken away and because of everything that went wrong. It's things like that that I've been finding throughout in different ways that make this one of those games where I'm like, yeah, this is a must buy. There's just so much going on. That's incredibly profound, well-written, well-acted. The voice acting is superb. The, uh, the music, the art style, the, all of the gameplay, it is just that fucking good. I adore this game. And with that, we will call it a wrap because we already got our outro. I don't need to play another one. Maybe I'll play a little Elvis. That's all we need. So make sure to check out the show notes at ForTheLore.com. Thank you for joining us, of course. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. And you can find us on Twitter. And individually, Joe is Loader ZJ, Vince is Simodian, and Marty is Officer Gleason. And with that, we will talk to you guys next week. Well, I thought my picking would set him on fire, but nobody wanted to hire a guitar man. Well, I nearly about starved to death down in Memphis. I run out of money and luck, so I bought me a ride.